Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. As always, interesting episode today. We have Roy of BDS Analytics, which is a name you might know, one of the premier uh, data analytic firm in the cannabis industry. We talk about how he gets that data, why that data is so important, the types of products that are popular in different states. This is the guy that sees all the data from all the dispensaries. It's a fascinating conversation. We also get into why he's not not interested in Canadian public funding. What a refreshing concept. You're going to learn a ton, guys. I learned a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Roy, thanks so much for being here. Conversation I've been looking forward to. Uh, BDS is a name a lot of people know in the industry, but as if they didn't know, uh, what is BDS? Yeah, BDS is a data analytics company formed especially for the cannabis industry. Um, what we do is three three real things. Um, we provide data to companies about which products are hot and which categories are trending, how big those categories are. Uh, and we do that both for dispensaries who are our partners who want to figure out which products to put on the shelves in order to best satisfy consumer demand, make sure the consumers stay in their dispensary and don't go up the road to somewhere else where they find what they were looking for. Uh, but we also do that for brands as well, uh, especially with packaged products like concentrates, extracts, uh, edibles, topicals. Uh, and also for growers, uh, we help them to determine which uh, strains are likely to be most popular in the future and therefore uh, they should be focusing on. Uh, but in addition, as the cannabis industry is getting more uh, sophisticated and competitive, uh, certainly in some states, uh, we now help people to understand who the consumer is and how to differentiate yourself for your target consumer. So we do a lot of consumer survey work which reveals insights about the types of consumers who are out there um, and what they might be looking for when they consume, how they consume, why they consume, so that uh, brands in particular but also dispensaries can figure out how to be most appealing to the most rapidly growing groups of consumers. Got it. Yeah, no, fascinating stuff there. And important uh, data, I think, is so important in every industry. Why not this one? Um, how do you how are you collecting primarily that data? Where does most of that data come from? Yeah, so there's two uh, main sources. The first one is our partnerships with dispensaries. So we have partnerships with hundreds of dispensaries, especially in Colorado, California, Washington, Oregon, and Nevada and Arizona, and also expanding into some other states now. Um, so uh, they provide access to their point of sale data or send us their point of sale data. Um, and we then organize all of that data. Um, we've now received close to a billion transactions through our system. Wow. Um, and of course, it's, uh, a, it's a big mess when it comes in. It comes in all sorts of different formats. There are no standardized SKU codes, barcodes, or anything like that. A lot of descriptive data. Uh, but we've had a lot of experience in other industries with similar sort of jumbled data. And we're very good at uh, in interpreting those descriptions, including typos, misspells, back to front, front to back, 
weight and size first before description, all those sorts of things. Um, and we turn that into a standardized uh, description of each product. And then we build a product catalog for every state. Uh, so we have over 115,000 uh, product catalogs now organized by category, subcategory, uh, brand, um, and many other attributes that we actually track. So that's how we make sense of all of that data that comes in from the dispensaries. And then we organize that into a big SQL database and then make it accessible through our GreenEdge um, portal, uh, which our dispensary partners and clients uh, can access. And then our dispensary partners are able to see how they're doing, which products are trending within their own dispensary, um, what represents the largest share of their sales, what has grown most rapidly by item, by brand, by category and subcategory. But they're also able to compare that to the average for their state, very importantly. And so that enables you to say, okay, I'm underperforming in concentrates, I'm overperforming in edibles. Um, what should I do to pick up my performance in concentrates? Which should I have more shatter, more wax, more vape products within each of those categories? Should I feature different brands that I currently don't carry or I don't profile very highly? Um, so that's the point of sale data. And then the other main data source we have is surveys. Uh, we've recently completed a survey of more than 12,000 uh, consumers in the United States and Canada um, and asked them a very comprehensive barrage of questions uh, which gave us more than a million data points about what consumers think um, and what they're buying, what their recall is, what their behaviors are, etc. Um, similarly, we organize that data into a database and then produce reports for our clients and so that they can identify um, both consumer trends in aggregate, but most importantly, they can dive into particular subsets of consumers that they find more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see your data consistently uh, sourced in decks. Uh, I look at a lot of decks as, a, as part of my investing, and, and it's often, often um, referred to BDS analytics, uh, which is awesome for you guys, just sort of free uh, promotion in a lot of ways. I want to go back to... <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it's good to hear that. Very good yeah, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly free. <laughs> it's cost us about uh, $6 million to get to where we are uh, now. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, we should get into the, the funding conversation in a few. I just want to go back to uh, the problem, as you stated, it sort of in in labeling and accurately identifying different products from from different companies. If I understand that correctly, like, there's different companies that call a pre-roll something different or uh, shatter versus resin. Is that what we're talking about or explain that a little bit more? Well, that's part of it. Certainly when we got started three years ago, uh, there there was no standard um, nomenclature for products, so um, we would look at a product that was described as a, uh, a wax and we say, well, that's not exactly what we thought wax was, that's uh, butter or live resin or something mm -hmm. like that. So we came up with our own categorization, which we have had to evolve a number of times as new innovation takes place uh, for every product that we see. Um, and then that seems to have become quite standardized and a lot of people use the same terminology, I think, with 
have the same meaning more or less that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a partnership with the National Cannabis Industry Association. Every member of the NCIA gets access to our category level data or category level reports. And so they're seeing how these categories are defined uh, approximately. So that's part of the puzzle. Then the other part of the puzzle is of course, because of this tremendous innovation, new products appearing every single day uh, from our data feeds, from our dispensary partners. And we have to go out and find out, well, what is that product, uh, which we do through a combination of uh, web searches, talking to the companies that have created the products, talking to the dispensaries, even bud tenders about what did you think, what do you think that product is? Um, and then, as I said, you know, because the descriptions are often so uh, inconsistent and mixed up, making sure that we're matching them properly. So, yeah, I understand it's a big data project at the end of the day. In the cases um, where the or what percentage of cases would you say you're actually integrated with the POS? And in, in which case, I assume the data is much cleaner versus the dispensary, you know, gave you a CSV file and sent it to you. Yeah, so uh, we're not really integrated with any POS system. We're working on that with a few. Um, oh. and by integration there, I mean data flowing both ways. Totally, um, yeah. We work with um, about 19 different POS systems in extracting data and uh, pulling that into our system and standardize and normalizing it. But we don't have that much data flowing in the other direction. The main data that would flow in the other direction is the categorization so that that would clean things up. So as a, um, a purchasing manager types into the system, starts to type the name, the description of a product, a drop down menu suddenly says, oh, I think you're typing, you know, this particular product. Sure. Um, and it is in this subcategory in this category that would clean up the data um, so that as it came in, we wouldn't have to do very much work with it. But of course, we always already have uh, systems and procedures to manage that volume of data coming in anyway. Um, and as you move into new states, new POS systems, new dispensaries, there's still a lot of work required to clean up the data, even when it's becoming standardized. Yeah, how long does that process take? I mean, from sort of uh, getting some data into being able to put it in a report, for example. Yes. Uh, well, what's that yeah, turnaround? Good time? question, Brennan. So we we have a continuous production system. We run it sort of on a cycle, state by state. Uh, typically, it takes us about 30 days from receipt of a complete set of data for a particular state um, before it's fully processed through our system. Got it. Okay. And do you think with sort of full integrations with the partners that you're working on, that can be sped up a lot? Or, or what's sort of the bottleneck? There? Well, the challenge there is that you have to have it um, fully automated and integrated from a very large proportion of the market. So if you solve the puzzle with one, two, three, four, five POS systems, that's not enough uh, for us to be able to do the statistical work that we do to project the in activity in the state. And I should be clear about that. So we have panels of dispensaries in all the states we cover. Uh, those panels have to be large and demographically balanced and consistent and not, you know, overwhelmed by any particular chain or 
certain type of dispensary so that we know it's an accurate reflection of overall activity in the state. And then we use a series of algorithms to take that data and project it up to the total volume for the state. Uh, so I there's see. a lot of statistical work that's going on in the background after we've processed the data uh, in order to make sure that we're accurately reflecting total activity in the state. You must have an amazing team of data scientists that's working on this. Yeah, I have had a tremendous good fortune. The first point is that uh, I've worked with data for over 25 years myself in various different ways. And I was involved in the early stages of starting a company called Spins, which is the dominant provider of data analytics for the natural foods industry. Uh, but my uh, co-founder, Liz Tahura, came from a company called Leisure Trends, uh, which did similar things in the biking and outdoor industry and was eventually acquired by NPD, which is a big, um, the number three player really in this industry after Nielsen and IRI. And then Liz's uh, team and colleagues uh, and technolo uh, technology and statistical uh, team to some extent selected to come with us. It was perfect timing for us in that the acquisition meant that those people's future likely involved them moving from beautiful sunny Colorado to New York and um, mm. many of those people didn't want to do that. So we had don't a, blame a team don't with blame you know combined 100 years experience and actually working together for a lot of that time as well. Hmm. Wow. So a tremendous sort of head start in that way and in culture and efficiency. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on spins uh, ahead of this conversation. What do you think you learned from sort of that experience and, and what's similar and what's different in data and cannabis versus natural foods? Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of analogies there. So um, the natural foods industry, if you remember, you know, twenty odd years ago. I don't know if you can remember twenty years ago, but um, <laughs> I can. I can just barely, but I can. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of independent health food stores. Uh, Whole Foods, when I got started, there had seventeen stores, um, mm. and uh, you know, GNC was a chain, but nothing like as big as it is. Together with Vitamin Shoppy and a lot of these other chains like Sprouts for example, were non-existent. Mm -hmm. um, most of the stores carried a lot of bulk product, you know, so there was the grains, the oats, the nuts, etc., that were not branded bulk product. And then there were rudimentarily packaged natural and organic foods uh, from small companies at that time, like um, here we are in Boulder, so Celestial Seasonings is a Boulder company, for example, uh, that were just getting going. They didn't have uh, barcodes and standardized descriptions. Uh, the the uh, health food stores had rudimentary point of sale systems. And of course, what happened over the next 20 years is that they gradually became more modernized. Everything became packaged, consumer goods mm. virtually, and chains like Whole Foods took off, where now there's very little bulk food sales. So I liken the bulk item to the sale of flour. Um, and all of the rest of the products look to me a lot like what's happening in the dispensary channel. And I was involved with spins when it was basically a concept. Um, 
and we didn't have very much to demonstrate, you know, that how useful it would be. And so there was a lot of explaining to people how what an impact this will have on your business. And people like Whole Foods had actually very uh, sophisticated team of analysts in the background because the the founders were very into data themselves and as as demonstrated by history that was very important as a part of their growth strategy um, so mm, I you yeah. know, picked up a lot from spins about how to build a business um, but also how to build this specific business and then I was a consumer of spins data for a long period of time as I was head of sales and marketing at a natural foods company um, and so I was using their data and IRI's data and Nielsen's data for product mm. development, for deciding which marketing campaigns to launch and how to do them. And as we expanded from the health food store channel into the food drug mass channel, where we were competing with big companies like Procter & Gamble and Group Danone, um, but we were able to do that because we could show data from the natural food space that said, yeah, but in our niche, we do really well and consumers like our products. Hmm. Yeah, no, fascinating domain uh, expertise there. Um, what kind of the scale of a company like Spins in terms of revenue, you know, a, a data specific to an industry? Yeah, well, Spins is a private company. Um, we're we're on very good terms, but I can't really disclose their size. Um, you know, it's sort of uh, between 30, 10 million, 30 100 million, and 100 yeah. million. Between 30 and 100 million. Got it. Okay, got it. And kind of conversely, is that the way that you see uh, BDS? Is, is that sort of that size potential? How do those markets differ in that way? Yeah, so we look at what we do in many industries. Um, you know, the biggest player with who does similar things to us is Nielsen, which is a $6 uh -huh. billion dollar in revenue company, of which about $3 billion half is the uh, what consumers buy side of their business, which is comparable to ours. Um, and they're in, of course, you know, internationally, globally, and they're in many, many, many verticals. What we've learned from looking at them and IRI and others, uh, where we've worked ourselves, is that somewhere between a half and one percent of total industry revenues are spent on the kind of data that we do. And I want to be very specific. That's the kind of market research type of data that we do. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in our, some industries, a lot more money is spent on other data. Sure. Um, and therefore, as we look forward to you know a twenty billion dollar industry, say in cannabis uh, in the United States, for example, we say, okay, well, one percent of that is a two hundred million dollar opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, there are likely to be three or four companies. Uh, that are sharing that 200, the majority of that $200 million opportunity. So we're expecting to be a 50 to $100 million company. At that scale, our business model is very profitable mm. um, because of the way that we're aggregating a large volume of data and adding um, additional uh, users for that data. Yeah, uh, I think that's a pretty good transition into the, uh, the, pre the recent uh, raise uh, just last month of three and a half million uh, in a Series B. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, coming from the technology industry, a three and a half million dollar B is pretty small. Um, take me through sort of the the size there and and how that round came together. 
Yeah, so that round was actually a million dollars more than we originally intended to raise. We were nicely oversubscribed and some excellent uh, investors came in, both in terms of their investment expertise and their strategic connections as well. Uh, and the reason we weren't looking for more is because um, that was sufficient for us to fulfill this phase of the growth of our business and get mm -hmm. us to profitability. Um, so we didn't need uh, additional uh, cash beyond that. Uh, there's certainly a lot of cash out there if we decide that we want to have a strategic change of direction, um, we could uh, raise you know, substantially more money in a Series C. Um, and we've raised to this point about $8 million uh, mm -hmm. to get us to this level of capability. We are now um, still cash flow negative, but the amount of the cash flow neg uh, that we lose every month is declining and has been for many months as our revenues take off and as our uh, client base grows rapidly. Got it. Yeah. Um, that's refreshing that you didn't need that much more money, right? That the, the business model is lean enough to support... Um, only $8 million up to this point. That's, well, that's awesome to hear. Of course, yeah. it's based upon the right size expectation and profitability of our business. As we discussed earlier, I'm not expecting to create a unicorn here that with uh -huh. $10 billion in revenue that's worth you know, $50 billion mm -hmm. when it's eventually acquired by Google or Microsoft or something. I'm creating here a $50 to $100 million business um, that will be very profitable and worth 50 to $100 million to the right acquirer. So if you bring in too much capital on that um, relatively modest scale business, um, you know, then there's a lot of dilution for everybody involved. Sure, yeah. And who would be that acquirer? Um, the chances are it's another data analytics or market research company or aggregator of this kind of data. So, you know, we think of uh, people like Nielsen and IRI, uh, but there are many others like um, Ipsos is another major company out there doing consumer research, for example. And in addition, uh, these days there are a lot of um, data aggregators who produce and publish information on all sorts of verticals. So market IHS is another major player and there are you know 20 uh, large players, surprisingly large players behind uh, people like market. And then in addition, um, there are these very substantial data analytics companies who are looking for um, interesting and exciting verticals and of course uh, there's there's nothing more exciting than the cannabis industry the fastest growing consumer products industry in North America at the present time uh, so there are people who could see that what we do is very complementary to their technological capabilities and they could build from the billion uh, items of data that we have and layer in all sorts of other capabilities to create a more comprehensive suite, perhaps of predictive analytics tools. Well, that's one of the best exit strategies I think I've heard. Uh, so awesome. Um, <laughs> most companies are like, well, yeah, somebody will buy us. That, that, was, a, that was a great, well thought out answer there. Um, I wanna go back to the round just for a second. Uh, Canopy participated again. What's it like sort of to, how's that re relationship develop from sort of the accelerator incubator stage 
to the Series B? Yeah, well, that's been a terrific relationship. For me, it's a much longer-term relationship than might be obvious. Um, so Patrick Ray and Mark Notterly, the two founders of Canopy, uh -huh. I've known for over 20 years. Patrick okay. actually worked for me in his first job after he graduated from Brown. Um, and then he ran one of my portfolio companies, Nutrition Business Journal, and then eventually sold that to Penton, and he moved to Penton Media uh, and continued to run that business and added all sorts of other things to his activities there. And he and I have been friends and maintained contact throughout because I was still working in that uh, natural foods industry. Mm -hmm. Mark Notterly was a business partner of mine. We started a business in Chicago about 15 years ago. Um, and when Mark was interested in becoming interested in the cannabis industry, I reintroduced him to Patrick. Uh, lo and behold, after a year or so, they came up with the Canopy Boulder Business Accelerator mm -hmm. and Micah Tapman joined as well. Yep. Um, so I got that long history with those guys. So you're guys. the matchmaker. You're well, the matchmaker. Uh, sort of. And then they lured me in because they've got all the dirty pictures, Brandon. Oh, no, they know actually how to uh, influence an entrepreneur like me very well in order to do something. And so they encouraged me to start this business. Now, they the, beyond the first three months in the Canopy program, which was tremendously helpful to me, I, I knew how to do this business. Mm -hmm. um, once they and they introduced me to Liz Tahura, my co-founder, incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. um, but what we didn't know was the cannabis industry. We had no relationships in the cannabis industry, and frankly, didn't know very much about even the products. And for example, mm -hmm. categorization, which we discussed earlier, I would have had no clue about how to do that. Sure. But through Canopy's uh, relationships in the accelerator, and through my friends in the accelerator, actually, you know, we got a lot of expertise in a short space of time and a ton of very helpful relationships. Well, it sounds like exactly how an accelerator incubator is uh, is supposed to work. Yeah, um, yeah. A number of canopy companies have been on the show, as well as Mike has been on the show as well. So, yeah, audience is very familiar. Um, and then, of yeah. course, then of Go course ahead. they established the Canopy Venture Fund mm -hmm. um, with perfect timing, as far as I was concerned. That that came together over the last six months or so, mm -hmm. which was exactly when we were getting ready to do our Series B. I'm sure that wasn't a coincidence. Uh, well, no, I think it probably was a coincidence. You yeah. know, we're only we're one of many investments that they'll be making. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, let's talk about sort of the data and where we're headed in terms of cannabis and and products. Um, you see all of the data or a good amount of data. There are a couple sort of. Um, I don't know, not rumors, but but uh, thoughts out there about what are the biggest categories. So everybody that I know is making a vape, is making a 510 vape cartridge. Is that is that supported by the data? Should everybody be making those? Well, it's certainly a big growth opportunity. Um, if we look across, uh, you know, the big four states, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and California at the moment, they represent about 70% of U.S. sales, and we have very detailed data on those states. Um, you will see that flower represents somewhere around 40 to 50% of total revenues in the industry. It used to be 70 or 80% of revenues in the industry only two or three years ago. It hasn't declined in terms of sales of bulk flower. What's happened is that concentrates 
and edibles in particular uh, have been more popular. Mm-hmm. And so concentrates uh, in Colorado are now about 30% of the market, um, and they're approximately that in the other states as well. There's an interesting thing in California where within the concentrates category we have vape, we have shatter wax, live resin oils, all sorts of subcategories. Um, in California, vape represents about 70% of concentrate sales. Mm-hmm. In Colorado, it's only about 35% of concentrate sales. Wow. Um, so there's, there are more dabbing products, for example, in Colorado. Um, whereas in California, uh, those 510 vape cartridges have really taken off tremendously. Um, and we see that uh, vape is the fastest growing major category and I I mean major obviously there are little niches that do terrifically well from time to time uh, in all of those four states so it's a big opportunity edibles of course are very exciting as well edibles represent between 12 and 16 percent of sales depending on which state Mm -hmm. Um, and they have grown approximately average with the entire market so most markets have grown at a compound growth rate of about 35 to 40% over the last four years mm-hmm. since adult use came in in, in those states. Um, and you're seeing edibles growing at about the same rate and maintaining their share or slightly increasing their share as well. And then within edibles, of course, we look at categories like candy, chocolates, baked goods, beverages, um, and candy does very well. It's uh, consistently around 50% of the total market, of which gummy candies represents about 50 to 80% uh, within the candy market. So that's another large category that has continuously grown very well. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, fascinating numbers. Um, just in the last just this week, Canada has uh, legalized cannabis. Mm. Um, what does that mean for BDS? Is that, what kind of opportunity is there? Well, it's very interesting. It's uh, the market, of course, in Canada will not evolve the same way as it is in the major states in the United States. Um, for first, you know, it's going to be uh, regulated in such a way that in the short term, only flower and low potency concentrates are going to be available. Edibles, uh, probably a year from now, higher potency concentrates uh, for vaporizing. I don't know when that's going to happen, perhaps a year from now. Um, in addition, what you're seeing is that in the eastern provinces, it's going to be Uh, state controlled like they do with the liquor distribution so the province actually owns the channel of distribution and the packaging in most of those provinces is going to be fairly undifferentiated there's quite a challenge to um, if you just have plain white medical looking packaging Mm. uh, to Mm. differentiate one brand from another brand I think most of those restrictions will gradually go away. If you look at a liquor store now in Ontario, it doesn't look very different to me from a liquor store in, um, in you know, anywhere in the United States. Uh, but that's sort of how it starts off over there. It's a substantial market, um, comparable uh, to the California market. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, it's one that we're going to be active in. in, And of course, the data is relatively centralized because you're looking at 
these uh, uh, province-controlled monopolies or oligopolies in the East. In British Columbia and Alberta, there will be independent third-party dispensaries as well. Um, and there may be more product differentiation in, over the um, mm. over the longer term as well. And we do best, of course, when in the cutthroat um, competitive environment. That's when people want our data in order to understand sure. their the market heavy share, branding market and marketing, rank, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and are willing to spend uh, on branding and marketing based on data that gives them feedback about effectiveness of that. Um, so I think it will take it will take a while uh, for Canada to be, you know, comparable for us to um, some of the important U.S. states. I see. Yeah. And um, how about as a vehicle for raising capital in Canada? What are your thoughts on four-way reverse mergers? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's obviously, um, you know. A, by the way, I should say I'm an ex-banker, uh, commercial and um, investment banker. I've uh, got quite a bit of experience of uh, raising capital. Um, to me, you know, I'm very much focused on what is my business strategy and what's the right funding methodology for my business. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend not. I tend to be. Uh, you can't move me away from my core strategy very easily because there's suddenly an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that means I miss out on that sudden opportunity. Um, but I uh, tend to think that you know raising capital through a public uh, vehicle is much more difficult than most people think. Not in terms of getting the cash in the bank, but in terms of the ongoing reporting, the amount of disclosure that you have to do, um, plus the possibility that you become an orphan stock with very little uh, activity um, if you're a small company. Uh, we are a small company, we'll be a profitable company, but as I said before, we're, we're relatively small. Um, so then it raises a question of is it worth being part of some sort of uh, merger, roll-up, acquisition strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be a significant departure for us from what we're doing right now. Yeah, you also are not a touching the plant business, which often have the hardest time in private uh, U.S. with private U.S. investors. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, the reality is, private uh, capital is now much more readily available than it was even two or three years ago in the United States. Yeah, when we started this show, there were hardly any investors to interview. <laughs> now, now, now there's more than enough. Yes. Um, okay, I'd like to switch gears just a little bit. You said that when you kind of started BDS, you had relatively little exposure to cannabis. Um, but how has that evolved? What's your sort of personal relationship with cannabis like today? Yeah, so I've always felt that... Um, uh, cannabis should be legalized since I first encountered it, you know, at college in the early 80s. Um, I've never been very much of a consumer, but to me, you know, at parties and, um, you know, when people pass a joint around, that was, you know, a normal activity um, mm-hmm. and uh, a positive one and frankly better than drinking way too much beer or yep. other alcohol. Um and, and in, in addition, I've always felt that prohibition um, simply wasn't working. Um, and so that's been my, my personal attitude. And wasn't working, wasn't likely to work. I'm not sure if I can feel exactly the same way about stopping prohibition of all drugs, but I certainly have always felt that with regard to cannabis. Yep. Um, 
in theory, you should be able to extend the logic or rationale of that to all drugs and say, well, they should all be freely available, but I can't quite get there yet. Sort um, of the Portugal model. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I can't quite get there because yeah, me neither. It's, me it's, neither. it's just yeah. a scary scenario, although it's probably quite rational. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, my own consumption, though, you know, once I got sort of serious business um, working in, you know, big corporate, um, that uh, went away for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. And then when I moved out here to Colorado, I, I have uh, found that it is stressful being an entrepreneur. The way that comes out for me um, is not difficulty falling asleep. It's actually waking up at three o'clock in the morning uh, with, you know, some worry on your mind. And I found that uh, at the weekends on a Friday or a Saturday night, a lowish dose edible uh, meant that I could be feel confident about getting seven, eight or even 10 hours sleep and mm -hmm, waking up mm -hmm. ter feeling terrific. Um, so that's really been my consumption with which with our friends from Incredibles and Warner um, have products that uh, help me to uh, stay asleep, uh, relax. Uh, and have an interesting, uh, interesting thoughts and dreams usually. Yeah, totally. That's the number one thing I say to people. It, it'll help you sleep. If nothing else, cannabis will always help you sleep, which is uh, really, really important for everybody. Yes. Um, of course, awesome. our consumer survey work is revealing all sorts of benefits that consumers have. Uh, you know, stress, anxiety, uh, sleep feature very high on their list of why they're consuming. Pain is very important as well. Um, and, you know, it's that continuous spe spectrum of uh, people who are quite unhealthy and are using it as a medication versus people who are on the healthy end of the spectrum and they're using it to, to relax, feel good, enjoy themselves. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, so there's a lot of entrepreneurs as well as wantrepreneurs uh, that listen to this show. Um, you've had a a great amount of success in your career as an entrepreneur. Any advice that you'd like to give or maybe some advice that, that someone gave you that was useful? Yes, I think uh, in general for me, it comes down to focus. Um, it's, uh, you know, the genius might be the idea to get something started. I'm not one of those geniuses. I listen to other people and sometimes I think, oh my God, you are staggeringly brilliant. I'm never mm -hmm. going to be you. Mm -hmm. But I might be able to take your idea uh, and actually implement it by rolling the peanut forward every day. So mm. persist, perspiration, you know, is really 90% of success as far as I'm concerned. The, the way to do that is to love what you're doing because otherwise you won't be able to keep at it. Um, and the way to love what you're doing is to believe in it and to have a great team around you um, who support you when you're feeling low and who you at the same time can support when they need extra encouragement. Um, but, you know, I, there are many things I can't and won't do because I don't believe in them and therefore I'm never going to create that um, enjoyment that is necessary in order to uh, go into battle. You know, sometimes we're going into battle, sometimes it's very easy um, and sometimes you're scared of what the other side is going to do to you. Very, very well said. What is it about BDS uh, that keeps you going? What What's the most entertaining part for you? Well... 
Number one, we're nearly all geeks in this company. I just made a joke this morning because uh-huh. there were 11 people in the office and you could have heard a pin drop. And I was like, um, what's, and, and one of the team said, well, we're all, we're on a deadline and we're a bunch of geeks. And so we're all just sitting there at our keyboards banging it out. <laughs> um, we have the advantage of a lot of insight and a lot of data. It's that sneaky pleasure of, you know, being the cleverest kid in the room because you have information that other people don't have. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that our clients get to make decisions based on our data. It's very actionable data. It enables them to decide which product to create, what marketing campaign is going to work for them, for example, uh, or how to get from one dispensary chain to the next. Uh, very, very actionable data and quite short-term actionable. And that's how I use this kind of data in the past. And so my uh, team and Liz in particular love to impart that knowledge to both our dispensary partners and to brands. And then we get the feedback from them that we launched a new product or we launched a new line because of what your data said and it's going really well. And, you know, and that gets us all pumped up. Cool. Yeah. No, that's got to be really gratifying feeling there. Um, how can the audience help you? Are you hiring for anything? It's your chance to to plug whatever you'd like. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much. Yeah. So we are hiring. We have about six positions open at the present time. Uh, if you have a background in Uh, explaining data to corporations so that they can make the kind of decisions that I just described, then we'd be very interested in talking to you for business development positions and for account management positions. Um, So the likelihood is you've had a background at somewhere like IRI, Nielsen, NPD, SPINs, etc., Uh, or in consumer research as well, where we have additional positions. Um, And you're interested in the cannabis industry uh, as a a growth opportunity for you in your career. Um, In addition, we are always interested in speaking with um, data specialists, uh, in particular software engineers or project managers who have uh, particularly relevant experience with Uh, SQL and unstructured data Um, and we're moving into you know using artificial intelligence uh, to help us uh, figure out some of the benefits of this data Uh, so if you have experience there we have a position open for a senior engineer or project manager at the present time awesome Uh, exclusively in Colorado or other places too uh, so the, the engineering position will be in Colorado. Uh, several of the positions in, are in Colorado, but we're looking for someone on the East Coast, probably in the Boston Northeast area, uh, someone in the North Midwest. Um, and in due course, we will be moving into all of the major states. So, you know, we're very conscious of the opportunities in New York, New Jersey, Maryland, and then further down the coast in Florida going forward. Got it. Well, BDS Analytics, if you'd like to check that out, as well as all the other data and reports that are available. Roy, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Brandon. It's been my pleasure. Um, good yeah. luck to you and good luck to all of those entrepreneurs. And as you said, entrepreneurs out there and yeah, um, investors sure. too, you know, make lots of money, have lots of fun in this industry. Well said. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.